you will, take your Bibles and open to 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning as we continue our, our study through the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I don't know if you heard, but the Chicago Cubs won the World Series last year. Cub fans are coming out of the woodworks now. It's cool to be a Cub fan. But I've been a Cubs fan my whole life, and I've suffered through the losing seasons. And I told my seven-year-old son, Landon, when the Cubs beat the Dodgers last year to advance to their first World Series since 1945, I said, I've waited my whole life for this, buddy. And he said, me too. <laughs> I, I say that because some of you know, uh, my son is very much like me. And he looks up to me. Some of you have children who are very much like you. In fact, one of Landon's friends asked him recently, do you like everything your dad likes? And to use a pretty trite and slang expression, it's pretty cool. When your children look up to you like that and want to be like you, but it's a huge responsibility. And as children of God, our desire should be to become more like Him, more like our Heavenly Father. And how do you think it makes God feel when his children would rather live like the world? How do you think he sees it when his children look more like the world than they look like Christians? Charles Spurgeon once said, live like the world and see what the results will be. When God's people want to be like the world, we shouldn't be surprised when the results are unspiritual, when they're unbeneficial, when they're even disastrous. This morning we will see in 1 Samuel 8 a time when the Israelites, God's people, wanted to be like the rest of the world. The first three verses, which we'll read here in just a moment, probably 20 to 25 years or so have passed between chapters 7 and 8 because we're now we're going to be told that the prophet Samuel is old. And so that, that begs the question, who is going to lead Israel once Samuel passes away? So look at the first three verses of 1 Samuel 8. It says, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. And now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Samuel had a plan of who would be the leaders in Israel after he passed away. And he had appointed his sons to follow in his footsteps. He appointed them to be judges over Israel. And if you read and study this for yourself, there's debate about whether or not he should have done this. But in Deuteronomy chapter 16, the law does command the Israelites to appoint judges in cities. And so Samuel is acting in accordance to the law when he appointed his sons as judges. And so I would argue that appointing judges wasn't the problem. The character of the judges was the problem. The sons of Samuel, we're told, did not walk in his ways. We know at this point in the book of 1 Samuel what kind of man Samuel is. He's a man of God. He's a man of prayer. He's a prophet who has been called by God, who, who disseminates God's word to the people. He is a leader. He is an intercessor. 
All of those things you want in a man of God and in a leader. Samuel was that, but his sons were not. The apple fell far from the tree in this instance. So his children were not like him. They were dishonest. They were greedy. Their judgments were for hire. To be sold to the highest bidder. They didn't care about justice. They didn't care about righteousness. They cared about their bank accounts. But that was it. We know how despicable it is for judges to accept bribes, and we get that. But they couldn't plead ignorance or anything like that because it was specifically spelled out in the law of Moses that this was forbidden. In the chapter I mentioned just a moment ago, Deuteronomy 16, listen to verse 18 through 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord is giving you. That's what Samuel did. He just chose the wrong guys when he appointed them. And he says, they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Notice verse 19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. And that's what had happened here in Israel because of Samuel's sons being unjust judges, being greedy. And when you accept a bribe, you don't care about justice. You may make a judgment that's absolutely and completely wrong because somebody put some money in your pocket. And so righteousness and justice are out the window. Samuel's sons were not living up to the meaning of their names. Joel means the Lord is God. And Abiyah means my father is the Lord. These sons were not living like the Lord was their God and their father. And sadly, they weren't really even living like their earthly father, Samuel. And there's a lesson for us here before we move on in the chapter. And it's this. Faithfulness is not hereditary. Faithfulness is not hereditary. Just because your parents are Christians does not make you a Christian. Your dad may be a preacher, a deacon. Your mom may be a Sunday school teacher. They may sing in the choir. They may bring you to church every Sunday. And if they do, thank God for that. If you have parents who are Christians, who are teaching you to love God, who are bringing you to church, who are, who are teaching you God's Word, and who are being good witnesses and examples for you, be thankful for that. But just because you have that doesn't make you right with God. You must make your own decision to trust in God. You will not go to heaven because of who your parents are. God wants you to repent of your sins, for you to ask forgiveness, and for you to trust in Jesus to save you. There's a quote that I've read before that I love. God has no grandchildren. God has children. A lot of times children want to be like their parents, and they end up being like their parents. That's a challenge to parents to raise their children right. But there comes a point in time when children, no matter how they were raised, they grow up and they must make their own decisions. And they must choose what to do with Jesus Christ. Will they receive Him as Savior or will they reject Him? And nobody can make that decision for you. Samuel's children, they grew up and they made poor decisions. They were not like their father. 
Just because Samuel was a man of God, it didn't make his children men of God. It's kind of sad that Samuel's sons ended up being more like Eli's sons than they did Samuel. And so there's a leadership crisis in Israel, and something needs to be done. But instead of seeking God's will and asking God, what should we do, the Israelites come up with a plan. And they send a delegation to Samuel's house. They have an idea. Look at verse 4 through 6. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. Remember, Ramah is Samuel's hometown. It's his house. Verse 5, And they said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Is that what you want somebody to knock on your door and tell you? You're old. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. <laughs> You're old and your sons are wicked. You know, thanks for coming to the house. You know, you want something to drink? I mean, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. They sent this delegation of the elders to Samuel's house. They knock on the door and give him this great greeting. You're old and your children are wicked. We want a king. And it displeased Samuel. The real tragedy here, which we read, is not that of disrespecting Samuel. It's not even that of rejecting Samuel's leadership. The real tragedy is that these people are rejecting God's leadership. Say, so how do you know that? Because God said so. God's always right. Instead of desiring to be different, instead of wanting to be a witness to the other nations, the Israelites wanted to be like the other nations. One man said, when the elders asked to have a king like all the nations, they were forgetting that Israel's strength was to be unlike the other nations. And it displeased Samuel. And as we might expect, because of who he is, he turns to God in prayer. He doesn't lash out at these people. He doesn't start you know, browbeating them with the truth. He doesn't just start throwing a fit. He turns to God in prayer. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? He's hurt by their words. But he sought the Lord's will, something the people didn't do. They just had their idea, and they went to Samuel and told him, here's what we want. And in verse 7 through 9, the Lord's answer to Samuel, it got to the heart of the matter. And we read, we read some of that, but look at verse 8 again. Uh, look at verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. We could come up with several surface reasons as to why they wanted a king. We have unjust judges. This system isn't working. We want a national government, not just regional judges. We want a standing military. No, not just military that, that comes together when we need it. Um, all of those things could have been valid reasons to actually want a king, but they weren't the real reasons. The real reason they wanted a king, it, it came from a spiritual problem. They had rejected the leadership of God in their lives. God said that. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Multiple times in the book of the Judges, the Bible says there was no king in Israel. 
men did what was right in their own eyes. And that sentence sets us up for the monarchy. If you say there was no king in Israel at that time, you're looking forward to a day when there is a king in Israel. You wouldn't say that. But another thing that sentence does for us is it tells us about their spiritual condition. Those people had rejected God as their king. And now we're seeing that play out more openly when they are asking for an earthly king. And so the era of the judges is coming to a sad conclusion. Men are still doing what was right in their own eyes, wanting to be like other nations instead of being different and being a light to them. And they're asking for a human earthly king, rejecting God as their king, rejecting his leadership. And as verse 8 describes, this was just another disappointment, another failure in a long line of failures for Israel. He said, they, God told Samuel, they've been doing this since I brought them out of Egypt. Okay? This is no surprise to me, Samuel, that they're forsaking me. They've done it time and time and time again, so don't feel sorry for me. This did not surprise God that they asked for a king. God cannot be surprised. And this time, though, he decided to give them what they were asking for. He told Samuel, listen to the people, but warned them. One author says the greatest judgment God can give us is to let us have our own way. And if our own way is rejecting God, I, I agree with that. You might get exactly what you want. But when you get it, you'll feel emptier than ever. Nothing in this world can fill a God-sized hole in your life. Nothing substitutes for God. You've heard the phrase, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Boy, these people want a king so bad. God's going to let them have one. It may be surprising to us that God is going to grant this request, even though it means they're rejecting him. But he does tell Samuel, warn them. Solemnly protest. Explain to them what they're asking for. This is, this is mercy and grace and patience on God's part. He is giving them one more chance, so to speak. Asking for a king meant a lot more than just putting a crown on one man's head and going home. And so Samuel's going to obey God, and we'll read verse 10 through 18 in just a minute. And Samuel's going to explain to the people in detail what it means to have a king, what they're actually asking for, and what it will cost them. This is the third longest speech given by Samuel in the entire Bible. And as we read these verses, look at verse 10. I want you to notice how many times the word take is used by Samuel. Verse 10. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Here's what he will be like. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. He will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards, your olive yards, even the best of them, 
and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your, uh, your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Do you see how many times Samuel used the word take in those verses? Multiple times. They're acting like having an earthly king would solve all their problems, but in reality it would bring its own kind of oppression. Kings need resources. Guess where those resources come from? The people. A king would need a military. And so verse 11 and 12 mention that. Samuel says, a king is going to take your sons. They will be drafted into his army. They will be captains. They will be chariot drivers. They will make instruments of war. They will till the ground. They will, they will harvest because the king needs food. His army needs food. So you're going to lose a lot of your best workforce because they're going to be going to the king. He will take them from you. And you have to submit to the king's service. It's not just the Israelite sons that would be drafted in. Verse 13 warns that an earthly king will take Israelite ladies as well to mix ointments, to cook, and to bake. Not only would families lose their sons and their daughters to the king's service, but they would lose some of their own servants, they would lose some of their own money, and they would lose some of their own land as well. Verse 14 through 17 detailed that. A national government means national taxes. You know that. April 15th is coming up, right? Better pay your taxes. We've got a king, right? Not really a king, but we've got a national government. That means national taxes. If you want a king, you've got to support a king. Royalty usually demands the best. He tells them that. The very best things you have, you can forget about it. They're going to the king. It's coming right out of your pockets. Samuel's quite blunt. He's very honest with the people. If you think having a king will be nothing but gain, here's what you'll lose. You want to be just like the world? Here's what it'll cost you. The end of verse 17 kind of sums it all up. Ye shall be his servants. How many times have the Jews cried out to God to deliver them from serving someone. You could go back to Egypt and time after time since then and Samuel is telling them what you're asking for when you ask for a king is can we please serve someone? And yet time after time you cry out to God and say please deliver us from serving this person. Wouldn't you rather serve God than any man? Apparently not the Israelites right now. And so in verse 18, Samuel both warns and predicts that they'll sing a different song once they actually feel the oppression of the king. But look at verse 18 again. Notice how many times he says, You. Ye shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye shall have chosen you. You can't blame anybody else for this mistake except you. You did it. You wanted the king. It was your idea, but you're going to cry out because of him. And notice, 
the end of verse 18, the Lord will not hear you in that day. As Samuel very emphatically tells the people, you'll have nobody to blame but yourself. He also says the next time you cry out to God for deliverance, he's not going to hear you. Say, is that right? If God does it, it's right. God has every right to let his children reap what they sow. And he would do that to the Israelites. There are consequences to our actions in this life. Doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Doesn't mean he's not there. But if we make regrettable and poor decisions, we have to live with those consequences. And that's what Samuel's telling the Jews. You're going to be his servants. You're going, to wish you hadn't, you're going to wish you hadn't asked for a king. But God's not going to deliver you. The Lord will not hear you in that day. There comes a point when God can choose not to deliver. And he has every right to do that. And just let your choices play out. And that's what he would do with the Israelites. You say, my goodness, surely that speech is going to change their mind. I mean, this isn't just any man either. It's Samuel. A prophet, a man who's respected, and he just laid it out there. Surely they're going to say, okay, that's a bad idea, Samuel having a king. No. Look at verse 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. really probably shouldn't surprise us that they you know, reject this warning because they'd already rejected God. So they reject the words of the man of God now. They've rejected God as their king. They want to be just like everyone else. They say that. That we may be like all the nations. The Israelites were God's chosen people. God had done such great and mighty works in and among them. Things that had never been done anywhere else with any other people group anywhere in history. No other nation could make the wonderful claims the Israelites could make because no other nation had a God like the true God. And now they want to stoop to the low level and be like everyone else? And did you notice one of their very specific reasons as to why they want a king? Look at verse 20. They say so that we can be like all the nations, but keep reading, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They want him to fight for them. Do you not remember what the last chapter in 1 Samuel was about? 20, 30 years earlier? The Israelites finally did turn back to God wholeheartedly under the leadership of Samuel. And as they are at their, their church meeting, they're having a church service, the Philistines see that as an opportunity, to, an opportunity to attack and crush them. And it is absolute certain defeat for the Israelites. Until God intervenes. And even though they weren't ready for war, God thundered so loudly that the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that they ran around crazy and they retreated and the Israelites won a huge victory that day. And now they want a man to fight their battles for them. Why in the world would you want a man fighting your battles if chapter 7 shows you what happens when God fights your battles? But they had rejected God's leadership. God already knew that. He told Samuel that. They wanted to be like everyone else. So verse 21 and 22, 
God would give the people exactly what they wanted. Verse 21, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. Samuel sent everybody home. Things were set in motion. The next chapter we'll get the story of Israel's first king, a man named Saul who will definitely be a king just like all the other nations have. Today, and what this means for me and what this means for you, it is sad and it is wrong when Christians who are children of God who have been delivered and forgiven from sin and who have been given eternal life, it is sad and wrong when they would rather be just like the world instead of growing to become more like their Heavenly Father. If that happens in your life, God may let your regrettable decisions play out and let you reap what you sow. He has every right to do that. And you may think that living like this sinful world and being just like them will be fun, that it, that it will be fulfilling, that it will be nothing but gain. But I'm here to tell you that living just like the Israelites having an earthly king, this world will take from you. This world will not give you anything lasting. If you reject God's leadership and you turn to the world, you will lose joy. You will lose peace. You will lose assurance. You won't lose your salvation. You won't lose that relationship with God. That is eternal life. Cannot be lost, cannot be taken away. But you will lose fellowship. You will lose peace, joy, those things, the wonderful benefits that fellowship with God brings. And there's something else that you'll lose, something that Israel obviously cared nothing about here, and it's that you'll lose your witness. The nation of Israel was to be a light to all the other nations so that other nations could look to them and see the holiness and the righteousness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, because of the way the Israelites lived. But instead of serving Him, they wanted to be just like the other nations, rejecting Him and becoming like everyone else. And if we do that in our lives, we will lose our witness. We should look and live differently from this sinful world as individuals and as a church, why would we want to be just like the other nations? Just like Israel was to be a witness, we're to be a witness. We're to live our lives so that others can see God's love through us. Our church services should teach His truth, show His holiness, and explain His love and His mercy and His justice. It should feel differently than, than when we gather in the world secularly. I said earlier that when God's people want to be like the world, we shouldn't be surprised when the results are unspiritual, when they're unfruitful, when they're disastrous. It's going to happen for the Israelites. Our desire shouldn't be to become more like the world. Our desire should be to become less like the world and more like our Heavenly Father. More like Him. I hope that's the desire in your life. There's one final thing I want to mention. I mentioned earlier this didn't surprise God. You know what God told Abraham about his descendants? Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, 
He told Abraham that kings will come from you. But there hadn't even been a king in Israel yet. But God knew there would be one day. Even in the law of Moses, God made provisions concerning kings in Israel. Long before there were kings. This didn't surprise God. And even though it was a poor choice by the people, God used it to fulfill Scripture. You explain to me how, how awesome God is and how sovereign He is. It wasn't necessarily wrong to have a king. What was wrong is that they rejected God's leadership and they wanted a king like everyone else. But God in His sovereignty, He would use their despicable decisions to fulfill His purpose and to fulfill Scripture. Because after He gave them the king they wanted in Saul, the next king of Israel would be the king God wanted in David. And God would make a covenant with King David that his descendant would sit on the throne of Israel forever, and that descendant is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ doesn't have a throne if there's not a king in Israel. And so even though the people made a terrible decision in rejecting God, God would still use that to bring about his purposes. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. And he will return one day and set up the kingdom of God upon this very earth. And you're not ready for that day unless you've repented of your sins and trusted Christ to save you. It doesn't matter who your parents are, who your friends are, how many times you've come to church, how good you've tried to be. It's a personal decision that you must make. Make Jesus the king of your life and submit to his leadership every day to become more like him and less like the world. Would you stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer as we prepare for an invitation. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for its truth, and the lessons that we learn from it. Help us to just take this and apply it to our lives to be more like you and less like the world. Lord, help us to be good witnesses for you, both individually and as a church. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.